So I need you to turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 3, verse 1. That sounds stupid because we're in the book of Proverbs. But we're starting there anyway. Page 855 in the Bible's handed to you. James chapter 3, verse 1. Page 855. And I want to begin in the New Testament with some words that I think are very, very descriptive about the use of our tongue. It begins like this. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I call that strike number three on me. Okay, Not only too many words, not only the sarcasm, but now I'm a teacher. I'm doomed. Here we go. Verse two. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's pretty dramatic. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue... We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Ah, but you see, words are only the simple. Just like as allergy season is approaching us, you're going to have itchy eyes, watery nose, runny nose. You may have headaches. Those are all symptoms. But they're going to continue on as long as you have allergies. Until you handle the root cause, the symptoms will continue to come out. With the issue of words, those are symptoms. Those are secondary responses. The true issue is emanating from the root. From your heart. We pick up that truth in Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. Turn with me to page 690. 690, go backwards left in your Bibles. From James to Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. Page 690. It says very plainly this. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Would you pray with me this morning for the word? Heavenly Father, your word is powerful It's active, it's alive, and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the intentions of our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you would sever us in the areas that need for it to be soaked in, this truth of your word. Lord, that we begin to become different people, that you would alter us, and that we would be pleasing to you. 
in our words, thoughts, and deeds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The fill in the blank in front of you is this. The bucket of your mouth can only draw from the contents of your heart. The bucket of your mouth can only draw from the contents of your heart. In other words, if the stuff that is flowing out of you is gross, it's being grabbed from somewhere. And the issue may be a heart issue. As a matter of fact, I would suggest it's definitely a heart issue. But while we are allowing the Lord to make us into His image, while we are allowing the Holy Spirit to clean up some of this garbage that is deep within us, there is a few things that we can do to control the words that we use so that we don't damage people in the waiting process. Having said all of that, would you turn with me to Proverbs 16, verse 23. There are three major areas that the book of Proverbs speaks about the words that we use. The first I called living water. It is the positive element of the words that we can share. It's the whole reason why we have a tongue and speech in the first place. It's to bless other people. The second major chunk that we're going to study, I called channeling, which is taking water and putting it in its proper channels so that it goes the right direction. And that means that many of us may have great great hearts, but we're not very good at communication. And in our inability or immaturity in communication, we're damaging people. The third element I called pollution. And that is where the water that we were digging out is just gross and nasty. And it needs to be gotten rid of. Those three elements we'll study. We begin with the subject of living water. As I told you, you have an amazing ability to build and create dreams in other people. And it says right here in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 23, a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. Pleasant words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. The opportunity to bless someone else with your words is endless. It is our job as believers. It is our task to build other people up. One of the key reasons why I'm in ministry today stems back from a very simple conversation. I was about 13, 14 years old, just gotten finished at a restaurant that I was at with my brother-in-law. At the time, we were in the restroom, we had finished up, we were washing our hands, and he looked over at me, and he was only 19 at the time. He looked over and he said, Lance, I believe that God is going to use you in a very powerful way. He would use you to reach many, many people. He was a man of a few words, dried his hands off, and walked out of the bathroom. That began to confirm and at the same time launch my focus towards ministry. With one simple conversation, it altered the course of my life. See, you need to understand that you have that power. What you say to other people matters. And you need to use that very carefully. Because people are looking out and they're seeking for God. What do you want from me? And many times God will use the people around you. And you will whisper and say things to people and say, you know what? I just want you to know that God loves you. You know how healing that is? Do you know how powerful that is? Do you understand that when you're the one that says, you know what, I just want you to know right now, God will never love you any less than He does right now. Do you know how freeing that is? The power of these words is extraordinary. And we have to use them rightly. 
But let's make it a bit more specific, a bit more concrete, a bit more tangible than that. Turn with me to Proverbs 12.25. There's a very specific example given here in Scripture. And it opens up a whole world of possibility. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word, what? Cheers him up. Is that true? Absolutely it's true. Well, let's go through the scenario very quickly. So let's say that I am completely overwhelmed by the bills that are on top of my family. I'm going, I don't know how we're ever going to do this. We're both working like crazy and I don't understand. Maybe we're living outside of our means. I'm just freaking out about it. I'm completely anxious. And then I have a wise friend that sits down with me and says, hold on a second, Lance. Well, we could cut here and here and here and we could move and shift this around. And you know what? You guys are hard workers. And when you're hard workers, if you work smart, there's no way this is going to take you out. You can definitely do this. You absolutely have the ability and power within you and your wife that you can handle these bills. You can get out from under this debt. I believe it. And here's the plan that I see. The minute that person starts talking that into my life, I begin to mellow out, right? My heart begins to calm down because all of a sudden my perspective begins to change. Is that too far-fetched or is that true? That's true. Now let me tell you what that means. Our words have the ability to redirect the reality of the people around us. I'll give me another example. All of us in this world live with a perception. We don't really live in reality, we all have a different view of how the world is. If I asked you, if I said, is the world a safe place? Some of you would say yes. Some of you would say no. Well, what's the truth? doesn't matter. It's your perception. And you will react as if what you believe is true. I'll tell you, what is Jesus like? You all give me a different description of what his personality would be like if he lived here. Because that is your perception as to how he lived. Now, either he was or he wasn't, but you still hold on to your perception. Now, I'm a pastor and I'm afraid of flying. How stupid is that? Okay? Now, I got this fear of flying and my paranoia on a plane does not make the plane safer or less safe. Does it? No, but I believe the opposite. I believe that the whole reason I'm stressing out is to keep it afloat in the air. And all you people relaxing and listening to your iPods aren't helping because you're not stressing out. You're not keeping the plane afloat. I'm the only one doing the work here. And there's other people that are on the plane. They're completely mellow. They're watching the movie. And the whole time, so whether they're relaxed, does that mean the plane is safe? No, that doesn't change reality, but that's your reality. Just because I'm all freaked out, does that mean it's unsafe? Absolutely not. It has no bearing on that, but it's my world. Now, let me ask you this. Are people in America dying from stress-related illnesses? Yes, that is your reality. Should you be stressed about it? Doesn't matter. You are. And it's killing you. Now, we could sit there and go, well, now this is worth stressing about and this isn't worth stressing about. doesn't matter. People's perception of reality is dictating their life. Would you agree? If that is the case, I have the ability by words to alter your reality. I can tell you something right now if I said there is noxious gas coming out of these vents. I will alter your reality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, we have the power with words to shape other people's imagination. And they'll begin to work as if it's true. How many of you are old enough to remember Jim Jones? 
Praise the All right, Guyana. Okay, here's the deal. He was, and for those of you that are younger, you have to think Heaven's Gate. Remember the Nike guys in the shroud? Or you have to think about uh, David Koresh in Waco, Texas. Okay? Whatever crazy, weird, whacked out leader that led people in some bizarre religious experience to their death. You know what I'm talking about. These men altered other people's realities by the words they said, and they went to their death. That's how powerful words are. So what our job is, is to bring the truth and repaint the world for other people. Our job is to bring the words of Scripture. Our job is to bring the words of Jesus Christ into other people's lives and begin to allow them to see the world as God wants us to see it and alter their reality. That is what we do. And we must do it wisely because it's too dangerous of a weapon if not. One of the other things that we're to do is not only speak healing to the hurting, but to spread wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs 27, 9 says this. Now, some of you are not going to be able to keep up with me jumping around, so some of you can listen. Others of you have to see it on the written page to know I'm not lying. <laughs> and some of you have faith. All right, we move on. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9 says this. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Therefore, you are like a tree of life. The fruit that you produce in your wisdom and knowledge, you can hand out to others and say, have you considered this? Have you considered this? Sometimes it's got to get harsh, right? Sometimes you've got to sit down your friends and say, hold on a second. The way you're going, you're going to kill yourself. Stop doing that. Can we go this direction, please? Sometimes that has to take a much more harsh tone. And that's where we come into the second element of living water, which Proverbs calls rebuke and correction. We pick that up in Proverbs 9, verse 7. Because understand this, wise correction from a loving heart is wonderful. Why is it wonderful? Well, I've used the analogy with you before. If I keep walking and falling in a pit, that hurts. If you come up and say, hey, moron, quit walking in the pit. Go around. Then I'm going to go, hey, thank you very much. I didn't want to keep walking in a pit. That was very helpful. Okay, that's how we're supposed to respond to this stuff. Someone will redirect us and say, no, you're out of line. Stop doing that. That's actually very helpful. Right here, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Okay, so stop. There's some people we should rebuke and some people we should not. You don't want to cast pearls before swine. The idea is if you're going, everybody needs to know the great knowledge of God and you're running around trying to be a know-it-all. Okay, a lot of people just hate you. You understand? And as a matter of fact, if you stumble across a fool, you might get beat up. Okay, some people, it's just not worth trying to fight and clash heads with them to try to get them to pay attention. Some people are just flat out foolish and they're not willing to listen right now. Ah, but look at the next part of the phrase. Rebuke a wise man and he will what? He will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. One of the things that we must do with drawing up the living water that is inside of us is to share God's word and his wisdom with the people around us. 
Sometimes it's just instruction. Sometimes it's rebuke and correction. Regardless, it must be done in the spirit of love. Amen? Amen. The second element of channeling, of learning how to communicate with other people around you is an art form. Now, let me ask you this. Would you agree with me that we are surrounded by fools in this world? Amen. Okay, great. Most of them are sitting here with us. Okay, so that's fantastic. We might be part of the problem here. We might be those fools that we're talking about. However, the world is full of foolishness. So wouldn't it make sense for us to learn how to deal with fools? Yeah, I think that's very important. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 26.4 begins to talk about that issue. Proverbs 26.4 and 5 are fascinating scriptures. Why? Because they almost got the book of Proverbs kicked out of the canon of scripture. Isn't that weird? When they were debating canonization and making sure they were locking down the proper books, one of the biggest debates about Proverbs came from this verse. And they almost said, nope, it's a contradiction, we're kicking it out, God would never contradict himself. Ah, so let's take a look and see what we can find. Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him yourself. What's Proverbs 26, 5 say? Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. You're like, hey, that's not right, you can't do bull. Okay, don't do it, do it, don't do it, do it. Okay, it's like schizophrenia craziness, okay? Well, did Solomon really mess up? And if so, why would he put the verses so close together? Right? If you start going, just space them out, man. If you're not really clear on what you're saying, just kind of push them around. Nobody will know. Okay. No, no, no. He knew very specifically what he was doing. He was trying to make a point. And his point was what? Sometimes. That was his point. His point was sometimes you answer a fool according to his folly, sometimes you do not. How do you know the difference? That's where wisdom comes in. Notice that each phrase has qualifiers in the verse. For example, it'll talk at the beginning. It says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you, basically you'll become a fool. In other words, if the issue is all about you, where you have to fire back against someone, where you feel the need to be right all the time, and a fool pops off, so you lash back, and it's about you being right. Don't do that. You're just going to end up looking like a fool. But what are the qualifiers in the next verse? Ah, but if it's for his benefit or the benefit of people that are listening to them, you have to call it what it is, foolishness. Answer a fool according to his folly of saying, hey, you're out of line here. This is absolutely wrong. I'm not going to battle with you. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm going to tell you that all these people that are standing here are listening to you. And you're a fool. And it's out of line. Well, you're... Listen, I'm not getting into this and we're going to drop it here. And you excuse yourself. You do not battle with a fool. It's just not wise. So sometimes you answer a fool, sometimes you don't. Now, you need to realize that people out in the world, whether you're going through the checkout stand and they just seem to have an attitude with you, they're completely going off on you, insulting you or whatever, you need to learn how to deal with those folks. Sometimes you respond to them and call bad behavior. And sometimes you back off and keep your mouth shut. Use wisdom to determine which is which. But then Proverbs gives us three keys on how to use our words more wisely. I don't know if I put them in your notes, so you may want to jot them down. But the first one is limit our words, meaning the amount. Okay, limit how many words you use. 
Now remember, that's kind of my, my difficulty in life, is that I got too many of them flying out there. Alright? Limit. That is the most popular answer in Proverbs to solving the problem of words. Just shorten them. Stop talking so much. Makes it a lot easier. Proverbs 17:27. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. And a man of understanding is even-tempered. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Okay, that's called a trick of the trade. You ready? If you want people to think you're brilliant, shut up. Because you know that quiet guy that's in all those meetings? He actually has nothing to say, but we all think he's brilliant. We're like, check him out. He's holding back. Oh, wait for it. Wait for it. Here it comes. And the guy's like, I have nothing to say. I'm just, I'm just quiet. Leave me alone. Okay, but we all think you're amazing. Okay? So in other words, of using all these words and constantly letting everyone know that you're an idiot, how about keeping those back a little bit and let them guess? Okay, fantastic. But what if you do go too far? What if you've used too many words? We have an answer for that in Proverbs 30, 32. If you have played the fool and exalted yourself, or if you've planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. There you go. <laughs> well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? At some point, just shut it, okay? Grab something, stuff it in your face so you'll stop talking. Okay, I have really run into this problem in the counseling room. Here's how it normally goes. I'll start talking to you, and first I listen to you and hear about all the stuff going on, and then it's my turn to give back to you and share a little bit. And what happens is, like the first 20 minutes, I come across brilliant, okay? And everyone's like, wow, I think this kid has something. And then I keep talking. And I erase everything that I just did when they keep going, wow, now you're just irritating. Why are you still talking? And I keep going on and on and on because I believe so strongly in the power of words to begin to shape people's perception. I can't seem to stop it. Well, then it just becomes counterproductive and it ruins everything I just tried to build. So understand, there's a place where you have to limit the words and let it lie. And say, and that's all I've got to say about that. Right? Okay, there you go. The second thing that we need to do is to choose the right words. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Okay, something that you may not know. Our society determines definitions to words. Not the dictionary. Okay, here, here's what I mean. Go pull out a dictionary from 1908 and tell me if it's the same as today. Oh, it's vastly different, right? In other words, words actually alter over time. Words are not defined by a dictionary. They're defined by usage. Okay? So we alter meanings to words. Well, that means that every word that we use is loaded with bias. It's loaded with baggage. It's loaded with meaning. Therefore, be very careful which words you use for which situation. I'll give you an example. Just as computers communicate with each other, right? What they do is when you're typing on a laptop, you want to then send a message. So you type in something. Well, you think it looks like letters. You're actually typing code. It then locks it in. It encodes it. And then you hit send. And it fires it through the, the uh, wireless or whatever you got. Then it's received zoop, to somebody else's laptop. And it decodes it. Now, sometimes you may have noticed that your computer doesn't have the font that another computer has, and it comes out all jumbled. That's called miscommunication. 
That happens in the real world. So whenever I choose to use uh, a word to try to describe something, you are going to receive it and unpack it with your bias. So, for example, I'm going to send a message to Joel, and my message is, we're now roommates, and I then use the message and I say, hey, Joel, I want you to take out the trash. Okay, now it seems very simple to me. I just wanted to do a very simple phrase, which is, take out the trash. Okay, so I just fire that away. Well, how he receives it is a whole other ballgame. So he may receive it and come back with a reply like, what, you think you're the boss of me? And I'm like, hey, I was talking about the trash. What are you talking about? And he's like, why do you got to be all bossy? Okay, so the point is, he's receiving it and unpacking it and saying, this isn't about trash. This is about a power struggle. And I'm like, a power struggle? It's about the trash. And all of a sudden, we have this miscommunication flying. For all of us, we must understand that every word that you use has been given meaning in a given situation. Be very careful on the words that you select. Now, I would also say the third, the third trick of the trade hint on using words is use the proper timing. Proverbs 13.3, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruins. And you go, but, but I'm a good guy. I'm a nice guy. Doesn't matter. Proverbs 27:14. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. There you go. It's kind of like, I don't care what your heart is. Shut up. You're killing me. Stop yelling at me so early in the morning. You're freaking me out. Okay? We have to understand that timing is very, very important. Because even good information at the wrong time is bad information. So let me give you a real quick uh, hint in marriage. Here's the deal. Your threshold, which is the place that you walk in from outside in your door, should be a place that is reserved for simple communication, kind communication, and loving communication. Why? Because you have no idea what's walking through your door. When your spouse arrives home, they've just packed a whole bunch of baggage in their head when they walk through the door, I know you've been waiting three hours to tell them something. That's not the time. Wait 15 more minutes because you have no idea what you're about to hit. Or they come walking through the door and they may have had the worst day at work that they've had all year long. They're already angry. Anything you say, I don't care how nice you're trying to be, will be read as a negative issue and they will battle with you. Same thing. When you're walking home, you don't know what the environment is at home. Maybe the kids have been psychos for the last 50 minutes, and now mama's about ready to break. And so when you come walking in whistling Dixie, thinking you're all cool, and you come walking in and she turns into the devil, now you know why. Timing is everything. Let's make sure that we give it a little time to read the situation before we respond. All right? The final section that we're going to study today is the issue of pollution. When the stuff that you're grabbing out of the contents of your heart is absolutely unacceptable. It's garbage. It's trash. And it's hurting other people. That's where the warnings get very strong. Now, let me say something very quickly about the issue of bad words. You guys know what bad words are? Bad words. Okay, let's talk about profanity. Oh, my goodness. Now, here's how it usually goes. You will know in the Christian subculture 
what bad words are because we refer to them by their first letter. We will say things like the F word. And you're like, forward? No, that's not the word I'm talking about. You know the four-letter F word. You're like, fall. No! No, it's the F bomb. And they're like, oh, the one that explodes. I understand. Okay, here's the funny thing about it. When you're trying to convey these words, you sound like a child. Okay? It's all these adults going. And then I was like, just said S. You're like, did you just use a letter? Okay, I thought we stopped doing that. What, are you playing with blocks now? What are you doing? Okay, and then you're like, I don't even understand S. Oh, S-H. Oh, I get it. Okay, here's the thing. This is so funny. We begin to put these things into these little categories in our Christian world, and we think that we're all better or something. Actually, we just look really immature. The other day, I was trying to put together electronics, right? And I went, ah, poop. Okay, that's, what am I, three? What are we talking about? And how in the world is that better than the other word? We're talking about the same steaming pile, but somehow I've used a different word, and it's acceptable, and I'm a Christian now. Okay. This is absurd. Okay? We keep doing this stuff, and we just look silly. Okay? Now, it sure means that we have a limited vocabulary. We don't know how to do it. And a lot of times, the F word means really. Why don't you just say really? Why do you have to put that word in there? Okay. Here's the deal. Let me give you two sides of this issue. On one hand, you need to understand that profanity, for example, in my life, I must be so calloused and screwed up that you could say it around me all day long. It doesn't even register. I don't even hear it. I'm listening to what you're saying. You could use every word in the book. I don't even hear it. I just keep moving on and going, yeah, anyway, and I'm talking. Now, I don't use it myself, but I don't hear it when someone else uses it. It doesn't bother me. And in some regards, you can see the Lord, when you're using it, kind of just go, you guys are so immature. Okay, does it really alter his world when you select one of those words? No, it doesn't. Does it really matter? No, it doesn't. Here's the other side. Remember I told you that our society packs words with meaning. It also packs words with emotion. And so you have to understand the audience that you're speaking with, that when you say a given word, it will mean a tone to them. It will mean something vicious to them. And so you're not actually just using a word. You're conveying a whole load of meaning behind it. Let me give you an example. When I first became the pastor at this church, um, I used a bunch of what I called Christian cuss words, which means they weren't real ones. They were the little fake versions of it. And I used about seven of them all the time. Okay? I used them constantly. And I was here for about a year, so it was about nine, ten years ago. I was here for about a year, and I was notified by one of our elders that their children now have adopted all seven of them because Pastor Lance uses them. Now, that was not good, okay? And I had a decision to make. Either I could sit there and argue on the grounds of going, come on, these are the silliest words in the world. If I was caught dead in the world sharing these words, I would be laughed off stage. And they go, but, or else I had the other choice. The other choice was what? It's a weaker brother syndrome, which is the issue of going, but this was harming the children. They were using these words on my authority. So here's what I did. This shows you how long ago it was. I turned on the overhead projector. Okay, you guys remember what those are? They shoot light up on the screen. Okay, they're kind of like this projector, but different. And I put a transparency on it. If you guys have ever heard of that, it's a clear sheet of paper. And then I wrote with a marker all seven words, really big, so they'd shine up on the thing. And I looked out at the congregation, and I said, 
you will not hear me use those words again. And I turned off the projector. And I have it to this day. My choice was to say those words, regardless of how silly they were or how absurd they were, and how acceptable they should have been, doesn't matter. It was influencing and affecting someone in a negative way. I, as a pastor, needed to take the hit. So I removed those words from my vocabulary. So do you understand the two sides of the issue? In some ways, it doesn't matter at all. In other ways, it matters a lot. A lot of it is dictated by the hearts that are around you. And if you are harming other people for your own selfish sake, that's not okay. You understand what I'm saying? But at the same time, let's please remember they're just words. When the Bible talks about bad words, it's talking about things that you can say that are entirely acceptable in church and you can say with a smile on your face and rip someone to shreds. It's things like lies, deceit, dissension, slander, gossip. Now those are bad words. And it's got nothing to do with profanity. Bad words, as he finishes out his thoughts on this stuff, are where you are directly harming someone else. Proverbs 11.9 says, With his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbor. Can we actually do that? Yes, we can. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 10.18 says, He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. Proverbs 20.19, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. That's me. Okay, now, <laughs> avoid me. Too late, you're in church. Okay, what we need to realize is what gossip is and what it is not. In church subculture, we throw this word around for everything. Everything's gossip. For example, let's say there's a predator in our midst, right? And the predator comes up to me and goes, your church gossips all the time. Well, I don't know, what are they saying? They're saying I'm a predator. Are you a predator? Yes. Well, then I guess that's why they call you a predator. Well, they shouldn't gossip like that. Why? Because they can't talk about me. But you're a bad guy, and you're going to hurt someone. So, okay, you understand the problem here? There's a tension because how do tribes get information to one another? You talk. Of course we're going to talk about you. Get out of here. Of course we share information. That's how we survive. When you constantly go, hey, are those berries any good? My brother ate one and died. Oh, okay, I guess I shouldn't eat the berry then. Okay, that's kind of how things got rolling. You understand? That's how we have bad berries and good berries. Okay, but if everyone goes, I don't want to gossip about the berry. I'm not telling you. You eat it. You know, and you're like, come on. This is ridiculous. Of course we're going to share information back and forth. We're sorting stuff out. And we're trying to figure it out. You guys, you gossip about me all the time. I'm constantly, Pastor Lance said this, Pastor Lance said that. It's totally inaccurate. I had all kinds of stuff. Lance is going on sabbatical. He's leaving the church. He's gone for a year. I was gone for two months. I came back. Okay, it's all bogus. And everybody, now I don't get offended by that. So what? People are just trying to sort it out. That's not gossip. As a matter of fact, I went through and I did a word study on the issue of gossip in Hebrew and in Greek throughout scriptures. As a matter of fact, gossip is only used seven times in the entire Bible, at least in the NIV. And through those seven times, six of them are in Proverbs. 
Only one is outside of Proverbs. It's in 2 Corinthians 12.20. And every time I looked up those words, I even looked up the other issues like slander and stuff like that. Every time the word gossip was used, it was linked to the idea of slander. Meaning you're saying something destructive about someone else. So what is gossip? You guys, we have to be very careful as to what is gossip and what is not. And you know what? It is a fine line. Our current filtering system says, it's only gossip if it's about me. But if it's not about me, it's called a prayer request. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to give you a new filtering system. And here's what I want you to do. I want, to put, I want you to put it through three tests if you're about to share information with someone else about someone else. Here's your filtering system. Number one, accuracy. That's your first test. Is what you're about to share accurate? You go, sure it is. I got it from a totally reliable source. You got it from a totally reliable source. You got it from a totally reliable source. Okay, no, you just ruined it. Unless you know the information firsthand, keep your mouth shut. Do you understand what I'm saying? And even then, you're not even sure it's totally accurate. It may be your perception of what occurred. But if it clears the accuracy test, test number two, intent. Why are you sharing this information? If your intent is to make people go, wow, that's wrong. You're out of line. I don't care if it is accurate. Stop doing that. You're messing with other people's lives. You do not just share it. For the heck of it. You need to share it for a very specific purpose. And it must be for the benefit of the person you're speaking of. And for the benefit of the person that you're speaking to. But if you clear accuracy tests and intent tests, you have a third test to go through. And it's called the test of wisdom. Is it wise to share this information? If you don't know, don't share We must be wise. Why? Because the words that we share about other people can damage them and it can rip a church and friendships apart. And God does not take dissension lightly. If you are a person that is sowing seeds of dissension in a church, God has a problem with you. You better make sure that what you're sharing is because there is true danger existing in that church and it's necessary to share. Otherwise, keep it to yourself. Because we have a unity that is very tenuous. Everybody is barely hanging on with everybody else. And if you're the one that's causing people to separate and fall, God is going to get very, very upset with you. We have to be careful. The second major category of damage is not just gossip, slander, and dissension, but the issue of lies. As a matter of fact, it says this, Proverbs 12:17, a truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. There is deceit in the hearts of those who plot evil, but joy for those who promote peace. Listen, I don't know whether you want to say I shouldn't lie when I'm on the stand. Or you shouldn't lie when you're walking down the street. It still lies. You understand? And you go, well, there's no judge. People are judging all the time. And you're making it worse. You must become ferocious about truth. I'm tired of this little category called white lies. Where in the world did you come up with that? 
There's no such thing. Deceit is deceit. And I have become a master at this stuff. Because I'm a pastor, because I'm in the Christian subculture, I have all kinds of ways to run around in the world and convey a bunch of distractions so that the question is never asked and I don't ever have to lie. But the whole time, I'm trying to make sure I don't give the information. Isn't that still called deceit? If you're a liar, you're a liar. Call it as you see it. Stop playing a game. Oh, I'm a really good person. It's just sometimes I lie. That's the definition of a liar. Understand what your problem is. And then begin to correct the issue. Because lying is not okay. As a matter of fact, it's one of the seven abominations of God. Where he says, that's something I don't do well with. The whole book closes out with the issue of deceit and flattery. And it just means manipulating other people. Can we please use our words to build up and not tear down? Can we please use our words to talk honestly with one another and not constantly try to abuse each other and use each other? Everyone else is already having a rough time. Please don't make it worse. Listen, as we close, think about it this way. If God entrusts you with the ability to alter other people's reality, shouldn't that carry a tag of responsibility with it? And shouldn't we use it? I don't care who you are, but are you using your gift rightly? Are you building people up around you? Make it your goal in life that every situation you walk into, you leave having them better off than when you arrive. When you enter into any conversation, when you enter into any situation, I don't care whether the person is hurting or doing fantastic, please leave them better than when you arrive. That's what we do as salt and light in the world. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for challenging us and giving us in some ways, instruction that we can apply immediately in our lives. Lord, even though Solomon wrote this 3,000 years ago, Lord, it feels like he wrote it yesterday about me. Lord, help us to contain our words. Help us to speak only what is truly beneficial, fun, relaxing, edifying, encouraging, whatever it may be. And Lord, let us cast away that which is polluted while you fix our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.